Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, how you doing, man? You know, it was a long day. Let, let's just, there you go. It was super long day. But again, I think I'm not alone in that world right now. And I guess I'm happy that I'm busy, but long. How was your day? Uh, not too bad. Busy. Like it is. I was say, wait a second. Is there an Enjoy echo in here? Or <laughs> my entire life, I've strived to be like Tom, and it's finally happened. So, well, you have a lot to live down to because I'm telling you, it's, it just gets worse from here. So, at least we have that going for us. But Ben, I am super excited for this evening's episode because we have a very special guest. If you want to do the honors. Well, sure. Let's welcome uh, Dr. Brent Lacey to the show. Brent, how are you, man? I am really great. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come and talk to you guys. Well, we appreciate you being here. Do you want to kind of fill us in on kind of your background a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I'm a full-time gastroenterologist. I was in the Navy for about 15 years and just got out last summer and joined a private practice group at my back in my hometown of Dallas. And so I've been moving from a, a government position to now private practice, which has been uh, quite the transition, but very, very enjoyable. And I write a blog and, and produce a podcast called The Scope of Practice because I uh, realized when I got out of fellowship that uh, by and large physicians, and I think this extends reasonably to NPs and PAs as well, you know, we come out of training really well qualified to do our craft, you know, really good at the practice of medicine and pretty lousy when it comes to things like personal finance management and running a business, managing a team, being a leader. Those are just not skills that are taught in hardly any training program. And I really felt like that was bad and in need of fixing. And so I started the scope of practice to teach people how to manage their business more successfully and master their personal finances. And so that's what I do now, in addition to running a full-time practice. <laughs> well, I would agree wholeheartedly that I don't think that that's enough of an education that we get. And so I think that is a a service that is greatly needed and um, hopefully is well appreciated. Yeah, well, it's amazing how many people are farther behind than they really think they are and how easy it is to come out of it if you just decide to sit down and make a plan. I mean, when I'm doing my one-on-one -on -one coaching with physicians or medical students or PA students or whatever, one of the things that I feel like is fairly common to people is that they have this sense of hopelessness or despair or just a sense of overwhelm. Just looking at the amount of 
personal debt they have, trying to figure out well, what practice am I going to join? You know, how do I make sure that I'm in the right place? And how do I make sure that I'm, I'm getting paid what I'm worth and that sort of thing. And sometimes just having someone sit down and walk them through a plan step by step and say, okay, first you need to do this. Then you need to make sure that you're getting this in line and just giving people a plan is really helpful. And so that's one of the things that's really, I think, very useful and certainly definitely needed. And like you pointed out, it's not something we get a lot of training on. As a matter of fact, that's a point Ben has brought up, and we've actually done some minor episodes on just stuff like contract negotiations or stuff like you need to be aware of when you're starting out as an NP, because like you just said, it's not something we get trained on. So we come out of NP school with our training and what we want to do, and nobody has told us anything about how to get started. So, yeah, I think that's a really valuable service, and I'm glad there are people out there willing to help the other healthcare professionals, because otherwise, I think there'd be a lot of spinning wheels. Yeah, and there's always going to be a lot of spinning wheels. I mean, I got started on doing all this stuff, actually teaching financial management classes at my church and working with all kinds of people from various income ranges. I mean, widows on Social Security making $13,000 a year and change and all the way up to physicians making several hundred thousand dollars a year. And one of the things that's very interesting to observe is that everybody does the same basic dumb mistakes, and we just tend to do it with more zeros on the end of it. (laughs) That makes sense. Well, I have two questions for you before we get much further. One, what got you into gastroenterology? And two, being from the Dallas area, are you a Dallas Cowboys? Oh, God. (laughs) Well, I'll answer the second question first. So I grew up in Dallas with the Cowboys teams in the early 90s. So I was I was here for all the championship years, which was great. And then not too long after that, they kind of cratered and you had all the drugs, all the different scandals with the various players. And I decided I didn't need to be supportive of that. And so I kind of lost interest in them over time. And they've been fairly mediocre for a long time. Uh, Sorry, Dallas fans. Love you guys. But uh, we're pretty average. That's just the reality. So no, it's um, very true. But yeah. I, uh, I tend to root for my Texas A&M Aggies. So uh, we just won the Orange Bowl, which is a pretty exciting deal for us. So that's uh, that's good enough for me for now. Awesome. So just so you know, uh, sir, when you uh, said you were there for all the championship years, I literally saw some drool come out of Ben's <laughs> mouth because he is a diehard Cowboys fan and he was so excited when you said that and you know he's my best friend so he likes the Cowboys I'm, I'm a Browns guy but I'm like hey you know like I try to watch the Cowboys but yeah I got to go with your completely accurate assessment sir of just how mediocre I think the Cowboys are I, I just want to reinforce that to Ben so <laughs> so let's, let's talk about what got you into GI Well, you know, it's funny. I tried very hard not to become a gastroenterologist, actually. So when I went into medical school, I really wanted to try to do something different. I was hoping I would gravitate towards like anesthesiology or derm or something like that, because those are sort of the you know, the cherry positions that people think of, but I went into internal medicine my first morning and morning report. And I said, oh, these are my people. And so I just fell in love with internal medicine. And then during residency, tried out a bunch of different rotations on different specialties. And I had always loved GI medicine. I thought, I think the liver is absolutely fascinating. And I could just pontificate on the liver for hours on end. And then I, I thought seriously about hematology, oncology, but found that it was, it was just not, it was just too cookbook for me. It was, it, you know, any, at least for me personally, I just felt like it was the kind of thing that if someone comes in with 
this stage of this kind of cancer, they get this many rounds of chemo, this many rounds of radiation. It just wasn't as interesting. And GI was so variable and so nuanced. It was just something different all the time. And I really enjoyed that. Plus, I really enjoyed the opportunity to work with my hands and do procedures and actually get to deliver some therapeutics. I, I really find that gratifying and I enjoy that. So it ended up just being a very natural fit for me. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the cancer aspect because it hasn't come out yet, but we just interviewed a person that is currently got cholangiocarcinoma, and she is in the midst of the battle as we speak with it. So big shout out to everybody in GI that is helping her, and we wish Christina the best in uh, trying to fight through this. So thank you very much for everything you do. Yeah, and I will definitely add her to my prayer list. That is a really devastating kind of cancer, unfortunately. So I I certainly hope she makes it. Thank you. I know she's doing everything she can because she happens to be a personal friend of the family as well. So I get the text messages every day. So, (laughs) (laughs) But I will let her know. And again, thank you. And thank you for, again, pointing out just how average the the Cowboys are, sir. (laughs) It's, it's It's just the jewel of this episode, I'm going to hang every hat on. So thank you. It's just what I've been looking forward to. Oh gosh. <laughs> okay. Well, Tom, <laughs> if they like our show, they can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. I'll let just some podcast or on the web, www.justsomepodcast.com. Our emails admin at just some Also, before I throw it to you, Tom, the website has been redesigned as of right now. So go out and check out the new justonpodcast.com that has all of our other shows on it as well. So to find our Amazon link, you'll it'll be a little bit of a different path. You'll have to click on our podcast name to get to the Amazon link, but it is in there still. So with that being said, Tom, okay. what else can they do? Okay, so they can just go do whatever you just said. So there you go. Back to you, Ben. So, yeah, I had that whole spiel, sir, about how they got to the link, and then Ben redesigned apparently the website today, so that doesn't work. So there we are. Oh, well. We're we're back right to this. All right, Brown, you want to talk about your uh, website and podcast? Yeah, sure. So when I had been teaching at my teaching the financial classes at my church for a few years, I started getting asked about doing the some of the classes at the hospital. So the the OR nurses asked me to come and do a lecture on how to maximize their 401ks and how to invest stuff intelligently. And then I started talking to the residents and some of the students. And it was interesting because I kept getting asked the same five or 10 questions every time. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, it would be so nice if I had a blog or something where I could just have stuff written down. And then I could just say, oh, yeah, just go read this whole article I wrote. It'll answer that question in, in detail. And then I thought, you know, why don't I just have an article that I just write <laughs> or that I, that I just have in a blog? And so I decided to just do that. And so I put the blog together about 15 months ago and with the first 30 articles or so on various financial management topics and personal development, leadership, business management skills, and just been adding to it from there. Then about six months later, decided you know, I really would love to have more long form conversations with people. And I'd really gotten into podcasting, just listening to podcasts and uh, decided that that would be a great opportunity because, well, I just, just kind of a natural talker. 
whether or not I have anything valuable to say, I guess I'll leave up to your audience, but <laughs> I do tend to talk a lot. I thought that'd be kind of a natural fit and decided to uh, launch the podcast last May. And that has been a lot of fun. We've had some amazing guests on it. I've had really some world-class guests. We've had uh, JJ Peterson from StoryBrand who's uh, talked about how to make your marketing messaging right. We had Sarah Stanley Falaw, who's the uh, author of The Next Millionaire Next Door, which is uh, just, it was just a, a gem of an episode. She had so much wisdom to share with us. And it's been it's been great. It's kind of fun because I feel you know it's kind of like you guys. I feel like part of why I do this is that it gives me free consulting essentially, so I can have somebody on the podcast and just ask him, hey, how do I make my business better? And talk to him for forty minutes and get some free consulting out of it, and if give the same benefits to all of our listeners, which has uh, just been a lot of fun. He's on to us. He's figured it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I was going to say, people listen to me every week, sir. So I am sure they're going to love everything you have to say. I mean, they keep tuning into me. They got to be coming back for some more of you, sir. Also, I think it's hilarious because he said that. I was I was thinking that. I was like, these guys just keep coming on talking to us. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. This is about you. Now, how do I do that again? Just keep telling me. Can you write that down? Yeah, exactly. Oh, what was that again? One more time. Well, we'll make sure that we get links to his blog and podcast in the show notes below. But Tom, you ready for the story that you may have missed? Oh, after today's events, I can't wait to talk about something else <laughs> that I may have missed because whew, the news today sucked. So yeah, let's talk about something else. Well, here's the thing. I don't have a story. Um, oh, okay, great. <laughs> there you go. I missed that. So you know, they, uh, I mean, most of the headlines are dominated by coronavirus and, and COVID nineteen, and so didn't really find much else out there currently. So I figured what we could do is I've gotten my first vaccine. I've gotten my second vaccine as of today, about seven hours ago. Still feeling fine. I've not grown a horns or a tail. Um, I know we're going to do a COVID vaccine full episode. Here in the next week or so, but figured we could just give a quick update on that. Oh, okay, that sounds great. Do you want to lead off, Doc uh, Brent? You want to lead off? Have you got the COVID vaccine? Actually, yeah, I got the first round of the Pfizer vaccine about three, about two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, and then I've got round two coming on Saturday. Okay. So, and it's not bad. I mean, I didn't have any significant symptoms from it. I had uh, it, it kind of felt like a tetanus shot, so it's. A little more sore than a flu shot, and I had a little bit of a little bit of soreness at the site for maybe a day and a half, two days, but then it was fine, and never had any headaches or fatigue or any other significant symptoms. Ben, did you get Pfizer or Moderna? I got the Pfizer also. Um, the first dose very similar to kind of what Brent said. Uh, my arm was sore. I think tetanus shots are perfect like, explanation for that because it is a little bit more sore than a flu shot, but not bad. Uh, mine lasted probably twenty four hours, and then. Resolve, but yeah, no major other symptoms otherwise. And like I said, so far, second vaccine, the same. You got Moderna, right? I got Moderna, though I feel like I have some of the story you may have missed because my wife, Brent, you may not know, she's a respiratory therapist. She got her second dose yesterday. And let me tell you, today was pleasant. Like when I came home, I literally just got a stick from the yard and poked her a couple times because I was like, I don't know if she's going to move. Like, oof. Make sure you stock up on the Motrin and the Gatorade. I'm just throwing that out there, Ben. <laughs> Tomorrow's going to be a great day for you. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Now, Moderna, and this seems to be a common theme. I know we know multiple people that have gotten Pfizer, and we know multiple people that have got Moderna, and it seems to be running fairly true for everybody. I got my first dose last week and very sore arm, lasted a couple days. 
I had one day of significant side effects. I, you know, had some chills, some body aches, some fatigue, no nausea or anything like that. But it was pretty easy to deal with, I think, when you're like, it's a symptom, you know, or not a symptom, a side effect. You, you know what's coming. So took the Motrin, sat in my chair, watched Ohio State beat Clemson, still shocked about that. And then, um, yeah, moved on with my life. So it, it's not been bad. What bothers me is with both vaccines, it seems to be the second shot carries the significant side effects. I got a good punch in the face for a day from the first shot. So I'm not really I'm not too excited about dose two here in a couple weeks, but it's for it's for the good cause. So I'm going to get it done. And then, uh, yeah, I'm sure the audience loves hearing me in pain. So maybe we can record an episode while I'm in the middle of a fever. And we'll just Ooh, see what happens. That's a good idea. Those are the popular episodes. Yeah, <laughs> those are. Brent, do you do any episodes about you being in pain? Because our top ones by far are me uh, <laughs> having a kidney stone. Uh, what were some of the other ones? Gout. Yeah, we talked about having gout. Yeah, really racked up the listeners. No, you know, I have not had an opportunity to do that, but I hadn't really considered that as a marketing strategy. So I'm going to have to give that a shot. So uh, yeah. maybe, go, maybe go break a toe and see what happens. <laughs> I I will gladly lend you Tom and his pain if you need. You just let me know. <laughs> yeah. You just let me know what you need, sir. You need someone to come and talk about that one time they got gastroenteritis. I'll come on and we'll just <laughs> we'll just rap about that for a little while because I can yeah, yeah, I, I can I can spend some spend some time just talking about oh yeah, and then you get real nauseous and then we'll just go from there. But yeah, I I think it's a pretty good segue, Ben. And we are going to do that episode coming up pretty soon. We're just giving a couple more days to make sure everyone gets in the questions they have about the vaccine. And then we'll give uh, the best answers we possibly can and get some, hopefully some real good information out there for everybody. Nope, I think that's a great idea. And I think Pollyanna wants to be on with us during that one too. So we'll see. We will see. All right. Well, Brent, I think we've forced around enough. Let's get into kind of why you're here and, and talking more to you. So, you know, not only do you write your blog of on the scope of practice and the financial aspects, but you write blogs elsewhere, correct? Yeah, I've uh, been published in, I don't know, a few dozen different places. There was one blog post in particular that probably got you some attention, um, maybe some wanted and unwanted attention, I'm going to speculate. <laughs> and that would be about stopping the war on PAs and NPs on Kevin MD. Yeah, so that was very interesting. Well, the thing that was so interesting about it, so it actually came out about almost a year ago today as of the time of this recording. And the basic premise of the article was that I had been seeing on a number of forums, uh, Facebook groups and things like that, of you know, physician Facebook groups primarily, a lot of angst and a lot of ire and frankly, a lot of really ugly and nasty comments about PAs and NPs talking about scope of practice and you know scope creep and things like that and whether people are qualified and like who should get independent practice authority and that sort of thing. And I think you can have a reasonable and lively debate about where the, the scope of practice line should be drawn for everybody. And I think that there's some reasonable disagreements to be had, but what was bothering me is that everybody was just resorting to really mean things, you know, name calling and disparaging of people's motives and of people's competency. And I just feel like that is detrimental to all of us because at the end of the day, we have to be about the business of taking care of our patients. And if we're deliberately undermining each other and saying that, well, those people are no good and those people are money grubbers and they just want, you know, if everyone's just putting each other down, 
then the, our patients aren't going to trust any of us. And they're not going to come and get the care that they need because they're going to think that we're all just wrapped up in our own ego or our own politics. And so I wrote the article basically by way of just trying to say, okay, everybody, let's just try being nice to each other for a while, you know, stop the war and let's just sit down and have some conversations and some healthy disagreements. And it drew infilad fire from everywhere. I couldn't believe it. I had 200 comments within about three days. And most of them are from physicians going, you know, you're such a sellout. You know, I can't believe you'd write this. Of course, you'd say something like that because you're a gastroenterologist. You probably have all kinds of PAs working for you. Just really just just snide, nasty comments. And it was fascinating. It was, it was kind of funny because it just oh, – after a while, you just have to laugh. I mean, if, if nothing else, to keep from crying. But <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you just kind of have to laugh at the absurdity of it all. It's like, okay, you guys realize you're all proving my point here. It was it was very interesting. Well, was there anything and I know you kind of gave the general, but was there any specific incident that like tripped this trigger and made you think something needs to be said? Like, was there anything that led up to it? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't think there was a specific incident. I think it was for me, it was just more it reached a tipping point after I had been seeing just the volume of negative comments on these Facebook groups and such. I just decided somebody's got to say something. It's got it, and it's going to have to come from a physician because the PAs, the NPs, as unfortunately, if they try to stand up and defend themselves, it's just going to feed into the debate. So it's got to be a physician that's going to stand in the gap. And I decided that that should be me because I've been working with PAs and NPs for a decade, and they're fabulous by and large. They're highly qualified and really outstanding caregivers. So. I just felt like it was a stupid, unnecessary war that was going to result in negative patient care outcomes long term and that someone needed to say something. But I think it was just more reaching a critical mass rather than a specific event. Well, I think that it's interesting, especially given the current political climate in the country, (laughs) as of this recording anyway, that that has gotten worse, I think, over the last year since you wrote that article. Very quickly, like you said, it, it turns into name calling on both sides. Uh, you know, I'm not placing blame on 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 either group. I don't mean sides probably in the best way to word that because it's not like it's a we're not legitimately at war. But uh, you know, ultimately, like you said, it's the patient care that's going to suffer if we can't find some common ground to work on. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that is the ultimate failure that I think both. I hesitate to use the word sides, but if you will, both sides of that debate fall into the trap of thinking that it's an us versus them kind of a situation. And I think that's the wrong lens to view this through. I think the lens to view it through needs to be, what is the best way to deliver the highest quality care to the most patients that we can in the safest way possible? And if we both approach it from that standpoint, as opposed to you're trying to take away my job or you're trying to keep me down, if we stop thinking about it as being what's in it for me, and what's in it for you, and start thinking instead of what's in it for our patients, I think that we'll be approaching it from a much better position. So I'm still relatively new as a provider. I've been in a nurse for a while, but I'm new to the nurse practitioner role. And I guess I was just living in ignorant bliss. Like I was like, I had such a great relationship with all the physicians I've ever worked with. And I don't belong to any of those groups, obviously. I'm not a physician. So all of a sudden, when I would see comments, I'm like, what? They don't like us? Like, I guess I felt ignorant to the fact that it happens. Because like I said, me personally, all my interactions with physicians 
have been fruitful. Like they've, they've turned out to be really great and learning for me. And I guess that's another thing. Ben and I are very much in the camp of, we believe in PAs, we believe in NPs, but we're not physicians. Like there is that line of like where we all fall in our scope of practice and how we help the patient. So I guess that's another thing that struck me is when I hear physicians say, or I read, I should say, physicians say, well, that, that dumb PA or that dumb NP, and they start to say stuff. And I'm like, I don't know any NPs. I think we're physicians, I guess, is where I'm getting at. I'm like, who who is he talking to or running into that are giving him these attitudes? So I, I guess I have never run into the situations. And now that I see it, I'm like, oh, my God. So I'm glad there was a physician that was willing to stand up and say, hey, perhaps this isn't the best way to attack the problem. But I guess for some of us, I didn't even realize there was a problem until the internet. Yeah, Tom, I'm with you. I feel like I was blissfully ignorant for a long time. Like I said, I've been working with PAs and NPs since I was legitimately a medical student. I mean, forever now. And really always felt that they were highly qualified. And even when I was in med school, a lot of them were some of my teachers. I mean, my very first rotation as a third year medical student was the trauma bay in the ER. And the first guy that I was on call with was a PA named Greg. And that guy was a freaking rock star. He was so good. And he was a lot better than some of the surgery residents that I worked for. And I learned a lot from that guy. And so, yeah, eventually our training may pass, may surpass that and that's fine. But I think there's really a valid role for everyone to play. And so I agree with you, Tom, I had really been largely ignorant. And so, because, you know, I'm just the guy that I show up to work, I put my head down, I do my job. I try to get along with everybody. I try to help as many people as I can. And that's kind of all I do. And so then I get on, then when I'm on these Facebook groups, I'm seeing, you know, why is everybody so mad all the time? And I think, <laughs> I think what it is, honestly, it's like anything like you see with politics or with any number of, of social justice causes or whatever. There is a, a very ardent minority that spends a lot of time mm-hmm. yes. stand, you know, shouting and screaming and sometimes legitimately, sometimes not. But I think it's a vocal minority rather than a majority. Well, I would agree wholeheartedly. Sorry, Tom. No. I would agree wholeheartedly with you. And I think it's on both sides of the spectrum. And then you have the vast majority of us in the middle who are just going about our day and doing our jobs and not having issues with anybody. But you have, you know, on both sides of the spectrum, though, you have the very vocal minority that are causing a lot of issues. And it's a real problem because then it it paints everybody with the same brush. And so then if you believe what you read on the Internet, which a lot of people do, then it would be very easy as a newly minted PA or NP to read a bunch of blogs and come away with the idea that, man, all physicians hate us. Or, or vice versa. If you're a, a physician, it would be very easy to read a bunch of blogs and go, man, I guess NPs and PAs are pretty dumb and unqualified. And both of those positions are obviously ridiculous. And I, I think the the amount of time that we spend howling at the moon over these kinds of things rather than in trying to build each other up, I think is I think is is detrimental to the practice of medicine and ultimately likely to be self-defeating. And reading your article, because like I said, I remember reading that before we even knew you were going to come on the show. Like when this came out, I was like, oh, I remember reading this. And when I was an ICU nurse in a trauma unit, I remember watching PAs and NPs teach medical students. I've been in the ER when the doctors are like, hey, can you show this student this? 
So I would never in any world assume that we know more than doctors, but certainly there has to be this colleague approach. And I didn't realize it wasn't there, I guess that. But to go back to bad decisions, I mean, some NPs make bad decisions like they root for the Cowboys. And then, I mean, our only thing we can hope, sir, is that we correct it. And that's what I would like to get out of this. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right, and uh, you know, I can't speak I can't speak to the Cowboys necessarily, but but I, but I think that's right, and I, I would say that by and large, the NPs and the PAs that I've worked with historically, we've all had very collegial relationships, and I think that's the general baseline for people. I mean, none of us get into this business because we want to be mean to folks. We all want to help people. I mean, that's kind of our baseline. So I think as a general rule, people start off wanting to be collegial, but at some point along certain people's journey, I think they either have an experience or they build up a corpus of experiences that lead them to believe a certain thing, rightly or wrongly, that I think ends up coloring their worldview. And so what I had hoped to do with the article was try to redirect the discussion away from ire and angst and towards more healthy discussions about how can we actually serve our patients in the best way while building each other up rather than tearing each other down? It's amazing how much fire that drew just suggesting that we should all be nice to each other for a change. <laughs> well, yeah, I, man, in today's climate. Yeah. <laughs> well, so where do you realistically see the relationship in the future of medicine between mid-levels and physicians? Versus where do you wish it would go? Like, do you think that they're the same thing or do you see us going to the left and you want us to go to the right? Like, how do you foresee that coming? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's sort of the million dollar question. I would expect that it's going to evolve somewhat over time. I think that I'll say it this way. I'll talk about this in terms of organizational agendas. So what you'll see from some organizations like, say, the AMA, I think a position that is often taken I think wrongly is that PAs and NPs are underqualified to be independent providers. And I think that is too broad a brushstroke to paint. But I think from the other side, I think you'll see from some NP and PA organizations that all NPs and PAs are qualified to be independent practitioners and should be because their training is equivalent to physicians. And I think that that is an overestimate of uh, training qualifications as well. Wholeheartedly. But I don't think that means that there's no room for independent practice authority among qualified NPs and PAs. So here's the thing that always troubles me. Whenever you, and I think that we could take a lesson from this in society at large right now, is that when you judge people by their group identity rather than by their individual qualifications, you have committed a grave mistake, in my opinion, in judging them based on something other than what they are providing evidence for. So for example, if I've got an NP who has been practicing in a physician's office for 20 years and rarely, if ever, seeks the opinion of a physician before committing to a treatment plan and the physician always signs off on their plans as being valid, then that's a very qualified person. Why couldn't they practice independently? I think you can make a very well-reasoned argument for that. But does that mean that everybody who's coming straight out of NP or PA school is ready to go independent practice right off the bat? Absolutely not. No, I, I think that's rather foolhardy. I think there's a lot of development that's to be gained from working with strong mentors. It's the reason why physicians don't 
start practicing straight out of med school. Why we have to go to residency and or fellowship for years on end is because you get benefit from learning in an extended apprenticeship way from people who have gone before you. So I think that there is a middle ground. And I think that the organizations by and large are trying too hard for the extremes. And so I, I think that I think that it would be a healthier idea that instead of fighting for the extreme wings of our own positions, that we search for that middle ground and try to figure out how do we deal with people on an individual level rather than as a group. I think this is something Ben, I, and several other NPs, because like you said, there are NPs that are fantastic. Like Jeff that has come on our show as a guest before, he is just a wizard when it comes to certain aspects of medicine. And I would hands down go to him for advice. On the other hand, there are people I can't agree with you enough. Like if somebody said right out of the gate, Tom, you don't need a physician. Go just do whatever. I'd be like, you are insane. Like that is not going to happen. I know. And we've tried to discuss things. But again, like you said, there are these far right, far left spectrums that don't want the middle to work together. And I don't know why. I think there certainly could be something. And I don't know. We're not going to figure it out tonight on the show. But we've discussed things like. Maybe after so many years or hours of practice, you could maybe apply for independent like because like you said, and I have benefited from it, certainly for a mid-level to work with a physician and say, hey, when they have a question, they come, they ask, they get a good response. It only makes us that much better. And I wish people would focus on trying to improve our care instead of just saying you don't get to practice without a physician or I only want to practice without a physician. I don't think either of those polls really help us get anywhere or help the mid-levels in any way. Yeah, I think that's really right. And I think we make a mistake. Anytime you retreat to the extreme flank of a, of a particular position, it's almost always a mistake. The answer is almost always in the middle ground, right? And what I'll tell you is that the big thing that I really want people to stop doing is impugning either the character or the competence of an entire group of people. Because I think that is foolhardy in the extreme. I mean, I've worked, got, let's see, what, four or five PAs and that work in our office and I've worked, I personally worked when I was in the military, I worked with two different NPs at two different locations that were both just rock stars, absolutely fabulous. And I remember having the occasional patient that would say, well, I won't see the NP, I'm only going to see the doc. And I would tell them that if you're not willing to see her, then you're not willing to see me. If it's someone that I trust, it needs to be someone that you trust. And if you don't put your trust in that person, that's okay. But you're certainly welcome to find care elsewhere because that's just how much I trust the people that work with me. And I think that as a group, we should be able to get to a place where we have that level of trust in each other. And it starts by recognizing the places where we agree more than the places that we differ. Yeah, I, I want to say a few things. <laughs> Number one, I think both or I guess all three of the national organizations, whether it's so AMA, ANP, AAPA, I think it is. I think they all kind of need to come out of their ivory tower because they're the ones who are pushing that very similar to what you said, Brent, as far as they're the ones pushing both entities into each other. I mean, they're the ones that are kind of starting the war and they're out on the very extremes that are kind of the ones that are causing it. So, I mean, I think they all kind of need to allow us to work together to come up with the way that everything is going to work. Secondly, I don't want PAs or NPs that are listening to this thinking, you know, that we brought Brent on and we're not going to be a realist about the way that 
we feel as far as PAs and NPs as well. We've said it multiple times, like Tom said, at least 2,000 hours supervised prior to even considering independent practice. There also needs to be regulations to get into nurse practitioner school, and there also needs to be more stringent schooling practices for NPs and cut out the diploma mill bullshit programs. Absolutely. Also, if you're an NP that's out there and you're in these NP groups, stop crowd sourcing diagnosis. Yeah. Oh my I mean, God. Brent, I know you're in the physician groups. You know, we're in the nurse practitioner groups. It amazes me the number of times that we see things that are like, well, how do you treat hypertension? Or, you know, I have a patient with a rash. What do I do? And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, this is not voting well for the profession as a whole. And it's not voting well for you, not Brent, you, the person who's asking that question as a provider. But I, and I think you can go with that same model from physicians as well. Cause you know, I have physicians that I've known over the course of my career from med school on that are pretty terrible diagnosticians. So I'm a gastroenterologist, right? But I've, I have been consulted for a variety of things and have scooped people on pyelonephritis, prostatitis, had a, a patient one time that got transferred from the ICU at a different facility for abdominal pain that had been in the ICU with fevers for five days, horrible belly pain that was being reported, two negative CT scans, and they just couldn't figure out what was going on. They transferred him to us to try to get a colonoscopy so we could, so we could see if he had Crohn's disease or something. Well, I go and talk to the guy, and in 30 seconds, I figure out the guy doesn't have abdominal pain. The guy has a dinophagia. So we set him up for an EGD the next day. Of course, he had raging CMV esophagitis. Nobody had bothered to figure out. And that was coming from physicians. So you can have goofy stuff happen from the physician side just as you can from the NP and the PA side. And I think to paint everybody with the general brushstroke that they're you know, incompetent or unqualified is wrong. But you're certainly right about that, Ben, that there are a number of people both on the, the APP or the mid-level side or however you designate it or or from the physician side that are simply at the bottom of the bell curve and uh, you know to set policies based on those people is i think uh, a mistake but we do need to kind of i think we need to be focused on the idea of bringing everybody up to the right level rather than trying to bring policy down to serve the lowest common denominator among all of us and one last thing, and I find it fascinating to talk to physicians that worked in the military as physicians. Do you feel that your time in the military as a Navy physician kind of shaded this? Like you said, you got to work with some NPs. I'm assuming it was in a military hospital. Do you feel like you got a different experience or that it helped maybe cast the mid-levels in a different light because you got that experience working with them in the military? So it's a great question. I think that there's probably some of that, but like I said, I had also worked with some NPs and PAs even in medical school, but recognize also that in the military, we have a selection bias towards people that tend to gravitate into a role where they are team oriented and mission driven rather than self-focused. And so that tends to lend itself to the idea of camaraderie and esprit de corps. And so a, a general approach to situations of trying to build each other up and, and work to help bring everybody in the team along rather than try to be the one who rises to the top and puts everybody down. So we tend to select out for people that are more likely to be collegial, more likely to be team oriented. So, yeah, I do think that colored it some. 
But I will tell you, the entire time that I was in the military, I was moonlighting in civilian practices uh, just to maintain certain emergency skills and that sort of thing. And I worked with NPs and PAs in all of those roles. And every single one of them that I worked with was outstanding, highly qualified. So yeah, there's, there's probably a little bit of experiential selection bias, but I think it is consistent with what I hear from a lot of friends that have been working with PAs and NPs for their entire career in the civilian sector as well. Hmm. I just always wondered if maybe someday NPs or PAs kind of gravitated to like that warrant officer role where we started to only do one thing to help out the physicians and you guys stayed in the overall practice role. I I don't know where we're going to go in the future, but I always wondered if that was something that may end up happening with us. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. And I, I think that there is definitely a role to play there. I think that certainly in our practice, PAs that work with us are extremely valuable in that sort of warrant officer position. I, I think that's actually a really great analogy. So for folks that are not as familiar with the military, the warrant officer position is a non-commissioned officer position that is between the enlisted ranks and the officer ranks. So it's someone who's considered to be higher than all of the enlisted folks, but not into the officer category. But they're seen, in, especially in the Navy, as, as key leaders uh, with a high degree of technical competence in a certain field in most cases. And then they have a lot of credibility established on that basis uh, of their technical competence. So yeah, I do think there's a significant role to be played there. But as we see the, the number of people needing advanced healthcare increasing over time and the increasing tendency towards healthcare providers generally to retire early or go part-time. And we're not making any more med schools. We're not making a lot of new NPNPA schools because there's they're just super expensive to create. We're going to have a huge provider shortage over the next 20 years. And I think we're going to have to get creative. And I think, frankly, physicians need to become more accepting of the idea that we need to find ways to allow qualified NPs and PAs opportunities for more independent practice. But I think it also is incumbent on the NP and PA side to recognize that that word qualified practice means adhering Mm -hmm. to, like you guys were saying, uh, certain standards of uh, technical competence, training, education, and certification. And I think that that's, I think there's really a, a lot of healthy arguments and discussions to be had along those ways, and it will likely evolve as the needs of the country evolve. So one of the things that we are uh, sold on in nurse practitioner school, or at least I I was, I don't, Tom, I assume you probably were too, is that, oh, that in 20 years, it's going to be NPs and PAs that are all family practice, and then your physicians will be your specialties. <laughs> While I don't think that's going to be completely accurate, what are your thoughts on, on that role of family practice and the specialty as far as for PAs and NPs? I think that is probably an overbroad application of the ideas of where NPs and PAs will fit in the first place, because I think there are a lot of NPs and PAs who don't want to do family practice, who would rather see themselves in a specialty role. So, you know, see themselves in emergency medicine or critical care or hospital medicine or GI or cardiology or hemoc or psychiatry and things like that. So I think that there will be a lot of of advanced practice providers that are interested in the specialty. So that's the first thing. Second thing is I think that it is more likely 
that there's going to be a significant role to play for physicians in primary care going forward. For so one of the things that we've seen in the in the last say 10 years or so is the rise of uh, certain primary care models like concierge medicine and the direct primary care model, which has gained a lot of popularity and is really starting to revive physician interest in some of the primary care physician type roles. Because one of the things that keeps people out of the primary care area as physicians is reimbursement and the ability to make as good an income as, say, some of the specialists. But I think that there are market changes that are happening like the direct primary care model that are making that choice a lot more attractive to folks. I think that it is reinvigorating and will continue to reinvigorate physician interest in primary care. So I think it's likely to be a pretty expansive hybrid model in all the specialties is what we'll probably be looking at long term. So what I heard was if you want to make a lot of bling, you got to become a GI specialist. Is that what <laughs> is that the is that what I heard, sir? Because it sounded like that's yeah, but what you not, were saying. But, but not in the military. So so <laughs> don't do, if you, if that's your goal, don't do what I did. Don't go be a military doctor. <laughs> no, I would say I think a commander makes what a commander makes. Uh, so yeah, you're kind of but out in the civilian world, what you're saying is. <laughs> the specialist is like GI. That's where you're going to get a Mercedes. Like that's just a sign on bonus. So, well, if you really want a Mercedes, I drive a Toyota. So, but I'm, I'm going to be safe, <laughs> Well, Brian, I think as we're wrapping up this episode, I know we want to have you back on in the future and, and talk some personal finance and business finance, because as we talked to about earlier, that's something that's going to be vastly needed, not only your show, but, you know, bring you back for, for our show as well. But uh, with that being said, we do like to end every guest segment with five questions. And so I'm going to play the music and then we'll get into it, sir. All right, let's do it. Join us on a journey into the inner psyche of our guest as we ask five, 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 five questions. All right, Brent. So this is five questions and it's really pretty simple. We ask the same five questions to every single guest. And as the music said, you know, kind of gives us a little bit more to know about your inner psyche. I ask the questions. Tom makes fun of your answers. <laughs> Sounds good. Like if you said you were a Dallas Cowboys fan, I'd make fun of you for it. So yeah, but but who's who's a Dallas Cowboys fan? Not <laughs> I. So. <laughs> good thing one of my exam rooms isn't ex- a completely decorated in Cowboys. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there's mine now. <laughs> Yet. No, anyway, we'll talk later. Anyway, all right. Question one, Brent, what's your favorite medical word? My favorite medical word is gubernaculum. Give us a little more here, sir, because uh, <laughs> y- y- you got me. I don't exactly know what a gubernaculum. Yeah. So, well, I mean, well, first off, I will say that there are a lot of contenders for that title. So one of my other favorites is Amorosis Fujax. But gubernaculum is great. It's a it's a fetal development structure that become a, sort of a vestigial thing over, over the course of fetal development. But it's a, a fibrous cord and it connects the, the fetal testicle to the bottom of the scrotum and uh, allows it to cause the testes to descend. And that ends up being just a little tiny fibrous cord at the end. But that is the gubernaculum. Wow. However, I would like to say I did know what an amaurosis fugat. When he said that, I was like, first of all, 
the first time I saw that, I was like, that's a cool word. What the hell is this? And, you know, had to go down that that little rabbit hole. So, uh, yeah, but you got me on gubernaculum. I'm going to whip that out on somebody. <laughs> like, look how smart I am. Gubernaculum. They're like, what? I'm like, it doesn't mean anything to you, but just look it up. I know what that means now. So thank you. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. Uh, question two, Brent. If you could do any job in the world other than what you currently do, what would it be? Oh, that's that's actually easy. I would be the owner of my own miniature golf course. So that has been a dream of mine since I was a little kid. I say a little kid, probably since I was about high school. But something my brother and I have talked about a lot is the idea of building and opening up a miniature golf course uh, someday. Love, love mini golf. As of now, I think I'd have to go double check my spreadsheet, but I think I'm up to 88 courses that I've played nationwide. And so I uh, love, love, love miniature golf. Hold so not on. regular golf, mind you. I'm terrible, but uh, I tell you, <laughs> you put me in front of a windmill and I get yeah, hit I, every time. Yeah. So many things went through my head. I was actually, I thought I had this pegged to my head. I was like, he's going to say fighter pilot. I was like, okay, Maverick, you know, we're going to do some things here, but miniature golf threw me into a, a tailspin I was not prepared for. Do you have your own putter? Yes, I do, actually. Oh, was, my God. So, yeah, <laughs> the only club that I own is I have my own putter. It was a, a gift from my wife for Christmas or my birthday, I don't know, probably seven or eight years ago. So if you had your own mini golf course, are we talking like this? It's going to be like a basic mini golf course. Are we talking like a massive one with with – Huge like a sphinx like that or yeah what, what are we talking oh, it, it, it's it's gonna be epic yeah it's gonna be something that belongs on the the mini golf pga tour oh which believe it or not that is a thing so there's a, a professional mini golf association they have a master's tournament every year and a u.s open tournament every year <laughs> Do they have a little mini yellow jacket for you <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna be on the internet rabbit hole for quite a while after this now looking up the mini golf pga so oh wow no okay that is definitely an original answer we have never heard anything like that guaranteed yeah all right we're in question three think back to your first car was it a stylish ride or a rolling turd uh well in in keeping with the gi theme i would say it was the latter so uh (laughs) yeah so i really believe in paying cash for cars i was taught that growing up that was something my parents instilled in me is the idea that that one of the fastest ways to uh, kill your retirement dreams is to pay car payments your whole life and so i saved up for about five years and finally bought my first car at the end of my sophomore year of college. So I had two years in college with no car and I bought a Chevy prism and that was four cylinders. Awesome. Oh, the Chevy prism. I am aware of that vehicle. (laughs) So would you say your wife started dating you because you had a Chevy prism? (laughs) So she knew me after the Chevy prism. So I had a good call. I had upgraded to a Toyota Highlander by then. And so I think that's what, uh, oh, there you go. What yeah. for me. Now Toyota Highlander we can get with, but when you said Chevy prism, I'm like, okay, buddy, like, uh, <laughs> did you go on a lot of dates? I don't think your wife met you while you were driving it. So yeah, not so much <laughs> paid in cash. So, yeah. Hey, but hold on. There is a bonus cool point. He bought it and it was his. So, Hey, you got to give him credit where it's due. All right, Brent. Question four. If your house is on fire, everyone, including your pets, are safe. 
other than pictures, what's the one thing you want to get out of your house? Uh, that's going to probably have to be my laptop computer because that's where I keep all of my files and all my, especially all my stuff from my podcast and my blog and stuff. And so that's <laughs> probably the one thing I would grab. I'm, I'm bummed that you took away my, uh, my, my out. I'm like, oh, I'm going to save my kids. Uh, so I'm bummed you took that one away from me. So I got to go with the boring answer and probably save my laptop. I really thought you were going to go with putter, but yeah, that's, that's what I was like. I was trying to look up the name of what he called it in Caddyshack. I was like, is it a Billy Baru? Like grabbing the old Billy there running out the house. Well, see now it's like, now it's like Chevy Chase and Caddyshack. I'm, I'm, I'm so in the zone that I don't even need a putter. I just kick the ball down and hit it in the hole. Just kick it. It goes in. Little foot wedge. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Question five. You have $9 and 18 cents in your pocket. You're at the convenience store. What all do you buy? Oh, well, let's see. I'm going to buy a large fountain cherry diet Coke. And yeah, after that, my wife likes to make fun of me, but I actually really like corn nuts. I like ranch corn nuts because they just, they, I love the crunch and it really helps keep me awake when I'm on a long car trip. And then, yeah, that's, that's probably what I would go with. You know what? That is a good answer. There, there's nothing to make fun of there. A large cherry Coke and some ranch corn nuts. That is perfect Circle K food right there. So, yeah, no, that answer is magnificent, sir. There you go. Well, and then if I had any money left over, I would buy a Dallas Cowboy themed uh, face mask to mail to Tom as a gift. So. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's what I need in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> Good thing we're mediocre and not in the playoffs. All right. Hey, you know who is in the playoffs? Your Browns. That's right, the Browns. Even though I'm more of an Ohio, much like Brent said, you know he was rooting for Texas A&M. I'm much more of an Ohio State fan, but I am partial to the Browns. So I'm I'm glad they did well this year. All right, much well, better than the Cowboys. Woo! So <laughs> I'm editing that out. That's fine. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast websites, www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email's admin at justsomepodcast.com. Brad, you want to tell them where they can find you? Uh, the best way is going to be the website. It's uh, www.thescopeofpractice.com. And you got links to the blog, you got links to the podcast, and you can contact me through that. I've got a lot of really great free resources to download to help people with setting up a budget, setting reachable financial goals, you know, learning how to uh, make your business and your clinic run more efficiently and more effectively. So lots of great free stuff there. So just go to thescopeofpractice.com. Awesome. Yeah, we're definitely going to have you back and talk some budgeting. And because one of us here may have bought a, you know, $73,000 dog, but it wasn't I. So <laughs> I didn't want to. I was forced, like, I had basically had Stockholm syndrome by that point. Okay. My wife was holding me at gunpoint, like Captain Phillips. <laughs> and if I didn't buy her that dog, like, it was just sh- shows over. So, yeah, that's how we got that dog. That's not my fault. Maybe he can give me some relationship advice on how to control my financials so my wife doesn't do that to me again. Maybe that's what we should do. Yeah, I, th- I think the best thing I could say to you there is happy wife, happy life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I try and remember that every time I don't go on a Disney cruise now. So <laughs> I think I, I think I take you those exact words whenever you told me you bought the dog. I was like, well, happy wife, happy life. So I guess you better. Well, we'll talk about the rest off the show. But yeah, that's not the only thing you said to me that night. <laughs> so. True. All right. Well, 
Brand again, man, thanks for coming on and, and talking with us. And we look forward to having you back again sometime here in the near future. Yeah, sounds great. I appreciate it. I'd love to come on anytime. For everyone else out there, wash your hands, wear your mask. Have a great week. Hey, everybody, stay safe out there. But swearing just to pass the time. Lately, I see why I am alone. I caught some road bridge and I thought of you. And all the many times you say I should have known. Took a press so I could find my cheek. Find mediocrities, the best that I could do. Same without